got talking about done talking about making everything new, yeah. moving forward. Y'all kind of quiet about moving. No, I'm playing. No, I'm not. No, no I'm, it's too early. It's too early. I got. No, I'm playing. <laughs> but amen, amen. Uh, my name is Denara Winborn. If you're new here, I'm a, a ministry intern, um, and we be preaching from uh, Revelation 21. What is our hope for eternity? And so let me read our text. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And God himself will be with them, excuse me, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for being able to be here this morning to worship you, Lord, through, through song, through preaching, through fellowship. Lord, these means of grace you have given us to, to strengthen our faith and encourage us, oh God. We ask that you would just uh, show up in a mighty way, Lord God, and, and reveal your son through the preaching of your word, Father God. I yield myself to you, O oh Lord, and just, just pray that you have your way and let your word be spoken, O oh God. And we ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> And so the, the, the question is, is what is our hope for eternity? It's a heavy question. Many of us might not even think about eternity. In the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the, and the earth, and he formed, and then he filled the earth. And then the, the pinnacle of his creation, the, the apex of his creation, he created man and gave man dominion. And then as soon as it came, just as soon it went. And sin enters the world, and then death through sin, and then everything becomes corrupt. Everything becomes tainted that God created. It was a poet named Ralph Emerson that said, All I see causes me to trust in the Creator and the things I don't see. Yeah. But why is that significant? Why is that significant? He said, all that I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for what I have not seen. And so as we come into this text, we, we want to think about that, right? Because if he can learn to trust the creator with the things that he has seen and trust him for the things that's unseen, how much more should we trust the creator who has revealed some things? Because a lot of times we, we think hope is synonymous with wish. 
I hope I get this job. In, in essence, I wish I get this job. I, I hope this happens. In essence, I wish this happens. But, but how would the game change, right, if it's certainty? If it's certainty. Because, see, John is, is, is writing to the church, a, a persecuted church. People who are suffering, people who dying for their faith. And we want to think about that because with all that's going on, God gives them a vision. He doesn't deliver them from the suffering. He doesn't push back the evil. But he simply gives them a vision. And it's vital because for some reason it seems as if revelation is intimidating. Like people fear the book. People don't come to the book. It's the most neglected book in the New Testament, yet it should be the most encouraging book. And that's why I'm telling you that, because God has given them a vision of people who is facing persecution, of people who are suffering, of people who is in the most dire and difficult and dark circumstances, and God's solution is, here's a vision. Yet, we don't read it. God didn't give it to intimidate us. He didn't give it to confuse us. He gave it to encourage us. Now, I want you to hear something from... John Paul Sutra, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Listen to what he said. He said, with all my might, I resist the feelings of despair by telling myself I would die in hope. With all my might, I resist the feelings of despair and tell, my, tell myself that I would die in hope. Think, listen to what he's saying. Because, see, we, we lie to ourselves because hope is, is, is so close to life. It's almost as if hope is gone, then life itself is gone. And, see, we even lie to ourselves in circumstances to find that spark, to find that motivation to overcome. Some of the darkest circumstances, some of the worst uh, case scenarios have been overcome because people had hope. If it's no hope to get out of the situation... It's almost like, hey, just give up. And so that's what he's saying. With all my might, I resist the feelings of despair by lying to myself and saying I would die in hope. But then he sadly adds, but hope needs a foundation. So even lying to himself to get through this circumstance, the fear of death, he said, I realize it still needs a foundation. In Jesus' word, if you build a house upon sand... It won't stand. If you build a house upon rock, it, it will stand. And not only stand, it will stand amidst some of the most severe storms. And so hope is the same way. If you don't have a foundation, there is no hope. If you have a shaky foundation, the foundation goes, so goes the hope. If you have a strong and solid foundation, you have a strong and solid hope. And so I come back and ask, why don't God deliver them? Why is he not pushing back the evil, but he gives them a vision? It's because he's giving them a strong foundation so that they have a strong hope so that they can know they can keep moving forward because they're moving towards some all of history is moving towards something that's the hope that God gives us and so how does he build this vision or excuse me how does he build this foundation how does he build their hope up and we kind of jumping in 
Because book of Revelation, we see Jesus reigning as, as, as the lamb, the one who's worthy to unloose the scroll. Then all these judgments come about, and then we get to the back end of the book where everything is made new. In chapter 20, it was the uh, millennial kingdom. It was the judging of Satan. Then he judged the wicked, and then we come here. In verse 11, it said, Then I saw a great white throne. I'm in chapter 20. And him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for him. So with all these things in mind, with, with the judgment of Satan, the, the, the beast, the, the false prophet, and the wicked, they all been judged. And before his throne, even heaven and earth has passed away and no place was found for him. This is the mindset that John is coming to in chapter 21, because then he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he starts laying the foundation by first showing them the place of God, a new heaven and a new earth. And this word new is kainos in the Greek. It's not something entirely new, but it's a new kind, a new quality. And we get the idea when we read 2 Peter chapter 3. And he said we were waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. And then he gives us a picture of the flood, that it was the same heaven, it was the same earth, but it was the kind of cleansing that God did through the flood waters. So it's not something entirely new. And at the same time, it's something we have to kind of use our minds to understand. Because understand, the book of Revelation is, is visions. It's not to be read in, in isolation or read quietly. If we go back to the beginning, it said, blessed are those who read these words aloud. Because his vision is, is to give you an overall picture of the sovereign Lord who's rolling, ruling over history, who is in control of all things, even does it, though it doesn't seem he's in control. And so we have to use our imagination with these pictures, and it's like picturing a world without any sin, picturing a world without any corruption, no dead grass, no dead trees. Everything is fresh. This is even in fulfillment of Isaiah 65, 17, chapter 66, verse 22, where God constantly promised that he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And understand, I'm showing how he's laying the foundation of hope. These things that he promised, he showed to John. And now John wrote it down for our encouragement, for these persecuted Christians to have a source of hope, to have a solid foundation for their hope. This is a place where righteousness dwells, according to Peter. That is, there is no sin. There is no corruption. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 21. He said, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of glory of the sons of God, of the children of God. So the same glory and freedom that we receive through Christ's atoning death, the creation receives. Again, John is laying a foundation for a steadfast hope by first showing them the place of God, a place that's new, a place that's fresh, a place that's absent of sin and corruption. And then he goes on to say, and the sea was no more. Again, this is vision. This is not a physical sea. Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, it said three beasts came out of the sea. If we go to chapter 13, verse 1, in Revelation, it said the prostitute came up out of the sea. It says Satan was standing on the shore of the sea. 
And so in one sense, the, the seed represents the source of evil. It represents the source of sin. And so when he says this, no more seed, he's saying sin is gone. Think about that. It's nothing to oppose God's rule. It won't be no serpent coming to say, did God really say? Let this be the foundation of your hope. Listen to what I'm saying. No more seed. No more source of sin. If it's no more source of sin, it's not even a possibility to sin. It's not even a possibility to be tempted. In the midst of persecution and suffering, when we dealing with the things that we're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with, God has gave us this book to encourage us. And this is the first way he encourages us by showing us the place of God that's absolutely brand new and beautiful with no possibility for sin or temptation. The very things that interrupt our fellowship with God right now. And then he goes on to say, And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we see this intimacy here. A holy city, Jerusalem. And mind you, as as I said, this this book is in sections. You have seals and trumpets. And and in our section, uh, uh, chapter 17, when I said the the prostitute came out of the sea, she was the source for Babylon and all its wickedness in chapter 18, where we also see the fall of Babylon. So what's going on here, we see in the contrasting cities. It's always a contrast with God. It's, It's light and it's dark. It's good and it's evil. It's righteousness and it's wicked. We have Babylon and now we're seeing the place of God. And see, in his place, none of these things exist. But in the metaphorical language and the depth of God, the city is also a people. Because if we go through chapter, or excuse me, verse 9, then one of the seven angels came who had seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high, high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And so in verse 10, we also see that it's a city. And if we keep reading in verse 22, we see that it's a temple. If we keep reading, going into chapter 22, we see it's a garden. It's a garden, a city, a people, and a temple. I want you to keep that in mind. Because all these things are describing the place of God. And in essence, this place of God is is a fulfillment of his word because he he tells us in how he teaches the disciples to pray that we should pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. There is no corruption in heaven. There is no discord in heaven. And so God's new place is like the Garden of Eden, restored and, and renewed. It's, a, again, a place where God's rule would not be challenged. It's no sin, not even a possibility of sin. How encouraging would this have been to those who were facing death on every side? Jesus even tells us in addressing the churches in chapter 3, verse 13, that Antipas, his faithful witness, was already martyred. 
He caused the churches to continue, to continue, and, and, and to conquer and to overcome, and don't give up your witness. And see, that's our challenge, even as our culture is becoming more and more secularized. We see the abominations out there. And the temptation for them is the same temptation for us. Will we turn to earthly institutions to find a hope? Will we deny Jesus and deny the faithful witness to find hope? And he's encouraged them, stay strong until the end. Is this your hope? Is this what gets you through? Is this what sustains you? The vision of the place of God. No matter what I suffer here, I will be in a place of God where there is no sin and there is no corruption. This this is only the the first point, the place of God. So he continues to lay the foundation by going on and showing them the presence of God. In chapter 3, or excuse me, verse 3, it says, And I heard, so John saw new heaven and earth. He saw the holy city. Now he comes here and he heard. This changes the game because it shows us it's the main key text. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This promise has been in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 2 Chronicles, Isaiah. Name a book of the Bible, and this promise is here. This is the core promise of all promises. No matter what God promised, it comes back to this, that he will be our God. Promises of peace, promises of his presence, promises of joy, promises of righteousness, promises of forgiveness. All it comes from him giving himself to us. But what does that mean that God dwells with us? We can come, become familiar with terms. What, what, what does it mean that God dwells with us. Because we, we see in the place of God, and now we see in the presence of God. And, and, and for God to dwell with us, it means we are fully conscious of his presence. Think about that. Even now, every mind, every second that our mind is not on the Lord is sin. Yet when we in God's place, every second of our mind will be on him. And it's not only having a full conscience of his presence, but it's experiencing him. It's experiencing his peace. It's experiencing his joy. It's experiencing his love. These little faint glimpses that we have will be fully realized in the place of God, where we see and experience the full presence of God. It's where we experience his, his wondrous love, just, just as the hymn says, when he was, was his, uh, uh, we was beneath his righteous frown. <laughs> Christ laid aside his crown for our soul. And see, this is the blessing that we hear every single week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. We will hear it today in the blessing. This is the reality of it. where we will see God face to face. 
where our faith will give way to sight. Paul told the Ephesians that he wanted them to know the height, the depth, and the length, and the width of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's not even words that can describe it. It's only something that you can experience. And we saw that that, that this, this fellowship was interrupted in the garden by sin. In the wilderness, when Israel built the tabernacle, it was interrupted by sin. When they built the temple, it was interrupted by sin. It it was eventually destroyed when Jesus came in the flesh and tabernacled among us. It was interrupted by sin because they crucified him. But this, this is the place of God where we have the presence of God uninterrupted, never interrupted. And see, this, this is the beauty of the church because it goes on to, 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 to show that, that it's not just uh, uh, um, us dwelling with God, but it's him dwelling with us. And, and we might miss something because you only can see it in the Greek text. All the English Bible says he would dwell with them and they will be his people. But in the Greek, it's plural. It's plural. And see, the difference is what was once particular for Israel is now made universal. His peoples being every tribe, nation, and tongue. It is no racism. It is no ethnic division. But all people will come and worship God in his place and in his presence and enjoy the fruits of Christ's labor, the one who died for their sins, and lay his life down that we may have life. This is the true multicultural church. And then even being in God's presence, we see that we have God's pity. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. For these persecuted believers to be suffering the way they do, to hear about this place of God, and then to hear about the experience and the the presence of God, and the first thing that happens when they walk in is God wipes away their tear. And that will be the last tear that he wiped from their eye. Because it says death is gone forever. All these things that causes mourning. Pain and crying is gone. Because just as we said, the sea is gone, so death is gone. It's it's no more death. Think about that, saints. When we're too tired to worship God, when his word doesn't move us in our affections because of death, we tire, we we fatigue, or or cancer plagues us, or or pain plagues us, and and all these things that hold us back from really living life to the fullest. And it will be gone. Those who would never been able to see would now be able to see. Those who never been able to walk would now be able to walk. He wipes every tear. Death is gone forever. The former things are gone. And and I hope you're not missing this because I said this is God's place. And then I said God's presence. And, And when we ask why does death no longer exist? Why does sin no longer exist? It's because of God's presence. When God is present, these things cannot exist. That's the reality going back to verse 3. When God is present among us and we fully conscious and we fully experience his presence, those things cannot exist. Those things cannot exist. 
And so that's our second point, the, 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 the presence of God. And as John continues on, laying the foundation of a steadfast hope, we come to our last point where we see the promise of God or the proclamation of God. And so just as I said in the beginning, it was uh, seven churches. It, those weren't the only churches in Asia Minor. It was plenty of churches. Seven is a significant number in Revelation. It, it signifies completeness. And so the letter he was writing to those churches, in essence, is, is for the churches of all ages until Jesus come back. And so why I'm saying that is because here in God's promise and his proclamation, we see that it's sevenfold. One, he says he's making all things new. Two, we see he can be trusted. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Three, we see he is in complete control. He said, it is done. Four, he said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Five, he said, to the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. Six, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then seven, we see God's justice. Where those who denied him or those who rejected him will not be in his presence. And so in the beginning, he says, I'm making all things new. First, we saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then here we see that he's saying, I'm making all things new. And now this serves as a bookend because the only other time that God speaks directly is in the beginning of the book in chapter one, verse eight. And now toward the end of the book, God himself is speaking directly. And he says, behold, I am making all things new. Not I'm making new things, but I'm making all things new. And then he gives a certainty for this. He said, these words are trustworthy and true. They, they emanate from his character. God is trustworthy. He's faithful. And then we look at three. It said, it is done. It is done. It's in a perfect tense. In a perfect tense means something is already completed. It's already complete. It's the same uh, saying that Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished. And he accomplished redemption. It was done. And now God, the Alpha and Omega, is sitting here at the end of history and saying, it is done. When in essence, this is also in the plural. And he actually saying, they are done. Which means all his promises, all the things that we have been waiting for from the beginning of the time, and all history is moving toward, he says right here, this is done. Think about this, saints. This is the book that we neglect. Because sometimes when I'm struggling with these kids, you feel me, Mike? You know? I got to tell myself, it is done. Yeah. It is done. No more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Right? Which reminds me, even when death is gone, I know that definitely means flies and mosquitoes and, and all this other stuff. But again, God says it is, it is done. And, and this, too, is, is rooted in his character. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and last word. The beginning and the end, just as he stood in the beginning of history, he also stands at the end of history. Think about this. This should move us in our spirits. No matter what we face, he said it's done. 
Every promise has been fulfilled. It's complete. John has saw the place of God. He saw the, 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 the presence of God. And he heard the promises of God, which include it is done. It is finished. We have absolutely nothing to lose. And think about how this will move these Christians that were being persecuted, that were tempted to deny Jesus. And so he goes on to say, to, to the thirsty I will give from the uh, uh, spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. This, this serves as a, a beginning and an ending of the Christian life. The one who in the beginning thirsted for God will have the springs of the water of life. See, in America, we, we find an asset, you know, we lock it up real quick and we sell. You starve, you got, you got to pay. But Jesus says it's free. It's without payment. And, and, and conquering serves as the end of the Christian life. He said, just as you came into this thirsting for me and I give you water from the springs of life, he said, continue on. And when you overcome, when you conquer, now this is more personal. I will be your God and you will be my son. And so we, we have seen the, the place of God, the, the presence of God, the proclamation of God. This is the hope for eternity. This is the hope for eternity, the place of God, his presence, his proclamation. But if we have really been listening, the question shouldn't necessarily be, what is our hope for eternity? It should be, who is our hope for eternity? Because behind all these things lays God. All the former things pass away because of his presence this is the supreme blessing of heaven, uninterrupted fellowship with God. This has been a silver lining throughout our text, and not only that, but the entire scripture. Even as we go on to see, there, there will be no nighttime. Why? Because the glory of God will be shining. There will be no temple because it says God and the Lamb is the temple. There will be no sun because of the glory of God. None of these things are necessary because God will be fully displayed. Nothing Unclean or evil can enter this because of God's manifested presence. This is the hope for eternity. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is what Paul declared when he said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then listen to what he says. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, and, I, and I quote this text because as we've been hearing this, right, it, it, it should affect also how we live. Because he goes on to saying, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope will not disappoint us. God will bring about what he said he will bring about. So this is the practical application. It's every time we suffer, when we face affliction, when, when it's evil, when it's darkness, the hardest of circumstances, what that text is saying is this should be increasing your hope. It should be sending a flame your hope. God give us these circumstances so that he can do that so we can continue to look forward to what he's given us, the place of God, his presence, the fulfillment of his promises. These circumstances is not to hurt us.
I don't like to name specific circumstances because I don't want people to think I'm talking to that specific person. You know what you're going through. You know what you're dealing with. You know what we all deal with in this sinful, corrupt world. But understand that to be able to rejoice in the present suffering, you have to hope in the glory of God. You have to hope in the glory of God. And see, this hope begins the moment that we are saved. The moment that we are saved. And even in chapter 5, we saw that John was, was weeping because there was nobody worthy to open the scroll. And then he saw the lamb on the throne as if he had been slain. He was worthy to open the scroll. And so all the events of history unfold, like I said, until we get here, the climax And I say that because Jesus is on the throne. He's reigning. That's what everything that came prior to our text was showing, that he will judge the prostitute, that he will judge Babylon, that he will judge the wicked. And so if your faith is in the lamb who is reigning, this is your hope, to be in the place of God, in the presence of God, experiencing the fulfillment of his promises. Again, this book is to build a foundation so that we have a solid hope. It's to convict us, not cause us to compromise. God calls us to conquer. Yet, if your faith is not in the Lamb who is risen, if you fall among those who are cowards or faithless or detestables or murderers and so forth, In his goodness, in his grace, the promise still stands that you can come to the spring of the water of life without payment. Repent and turn from your sinful, wicked ways. Repent and come out of Babylon. Repent and find a true hope to where you don't have to add and hope needs a foundation. You don't have to lie to yourself that when I die, I should die in hope. This is the foundation. This is the certainty. The one who is sovereign stands at the end of history and said it is done and it's free. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We give you the glory for who you are, Father God. We thank you for this precious book. We thank you for your precious promises, Lord God. That sets a fire in our hearts, Lord, to to help us get through the worst of circumstances, oh God. And just as you sent this vision to encourage them, Lord God, so that they hope and faith may be in the Lamb who, who reigns over all things, Lord. Help our faith to continue in the Lamb who reigns over all things. Even though we toss to and fro, Lord God, we, we can hear the words, it is done. And we praise you, oh God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.